Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list. Winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan... You can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 679. This, so, do you have anything to promote besides sure Giant do. Bombcast? Uh, this one I pulled specifically here. Fump Fest, which is a all-comedy music music festival. Okay. Do you ever go to Coachella and wish that Dr. Demento had booked it? You fucking know I do! <laughs> uh, it you is, know I want to see Barnes and Barnes the, or Jonathan Colton or Paul and Storm. Uh, or, this, this, it's in uh, Wheeling, Illinois, yep. and it, it's literally three days of, of endless... All comedy music. They have comedy dance parties where there's dance music comedy oh, stuff, which in my mind is just like the woo pinwheel sound with drum beats over it. They're coming to take me away. Ha-ha. And then uh, uh, they have they have like uh, uh, improv thing where people start throwing subjects. Somebody just does an ongoing song, incorporating stuff as people do it out. The Arrogant Worms are headlining this year, but they have a ton of people who have been from the Dr. Mencho show all through it. Is Bill Frenzer going to be there? Uh, I can only hope. You know, uh, Bill Frenzer did uh, Dead Puppies and King oh, the Clown. Is he alive? Yeah, he's still alive. I saw him at, I saw him at the Tomorrow Show like four or five years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. It's uh, I can only hope. Then I legitimately thought that guy was dead. No, uh, so I'm, I'm like, super like, glad. The, like is, so many puppies he sang about. That's, that's sort of my thought. Is I imagine that the puppy syndicate got to him. No, but uh, <laughs> June fifth through seventh. Okay, <laughs> we're starting a, a comedy music band called the, the Puppy, puppy Syndicate. syndicate. <laughs> I see. In my mind, it was a, a men who dress as dogs and do dream syndicate covers. <laughs> no, you're making it way more complicated than it needs to be. You put five fucking puppies up on a stage, and then you, it's just like hear the, me out. Hear me out. We put tiny harmonica holders in front of their puppy faces. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see? Do you see? That you even just saying that. Thing ever. You, <laughs> oh my god. It's like our our answer to the harmonicats. Yes. Or the Acro Cats. There we go. Which I played next to. Yes. (laughs) The Puppy Syndicate. (laughs) Uh, Well, next year at Fump Fest, look for the Puppy Syndicate. (laughs) Oh, that'd be amazing. Katie? Yes. uh, The most recent episode of Hound Hall with Moshe Kasher Mm -hmm. is an extra special live one from San Francisco. And it's all about the history of hip hop. And it's really cool and really interesting. If you listen to hip hop at all, I suggest you listen to this. It features expert Jeff Chang, who's written a couple books about hip hop, and comedians Natasha Leggero, W. Kamau Bell, and Kasim Bentley. And you can find it now. It's called Hound Tall. Great. And again, promoting our uh, San Diego Comic-Con shows. Nerdist is going to be doing a bunch of stuff at Comic-Con this year if you're heading down to San Diego uh, in July. And I believe it's... Like the 9th, 10th, and eleventh. It's somewhere, somewhere around there. It's like it's the week. It's the weekend after Fourth of July, and uh, and so go to funcomfortabletour.com to get tickets for my stand-up show and live nerdist podcast. This episode is Dexter Holland, uh, who is from the band The Offspring. Who, I mean, Offspring was huge when I worked at K Rock. Huge on the. On They're the, still huge on the K Rock. On, on the on the rotation, huge on the rotation, uh, and obviously The Offspring had a very successful music career. But I was so poor Dexter Holland. I just I <laughs> pinned him down, and I'm like, talk about science, because he is he's a sci- he's a scientist, he's and he's a me- so molecular smart. biologist. He, he's he's oh he's getting his PhD in molecular biology. He's always been a science guy, and after the success of the band, he went back, and he's he's probably about a year away from c- completing his PhD in molecular biology, and he's studying RNA in HIV. I mean, and it's. He and he does so many fascinating things 
that, you know, you never would have, like, you know, bands from when you were growing up, you don't think, oh, that guy's a scientist. Like, <laughs> like oh, well, they're just, like, that's what they did. They're bands, and they still do music. But he does all of these things, but he's a, a really interesting guy and, and, and really sweet, too. So uh, I, it, was a, it was an absolutely, it met every expectation that I had chatting with him and exceeded them. So thank you to Dexter Holland. Uh, the Offspring has a new single called Coming For You and up an upcoming summer tour date so check those out at Offspring.com and also he made a hot sauce just cause fucking why which not which is super good by yeah, the way yeah which we have here they sent us a couple it's called Gringo Bendito they, so. uh, my favorite diner in the world is in Sunset Beach it's called the Harbor House and they have it on every table at the restaurant it's real Fantastic. good on a breakfast burrito so this episode number 679 with Dexter Holland now entering Nerdist.com We were almost undone by a cable that was barely plugged in. I apologize. Nice. But you're here. It yes. all worked out. It was great. Welcome. The journey. It is, it is it's nice to meet you. Uh, I, we are, we're going to talk science. I'm very excited to talk science with you. Uh-oh. You're talking to the wrong guy. Why? No, I don't know. A little bit, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, our guitar player is very nervous, that, or I mean, very, uh, very bummed that he's not here today. Uh, Why? Because he's a, a huge, huge fan of your show. What? Yeah. Well, where where is he? You guys said he couldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> Did we? <laughs> I, I thought that the conversation was going to be more about my science and technology, and I didn't know. He's like, he's like, you're going on the Nerdist? I want to go. I'm like, oh no, yeah. Noodles could have come on the Nerdist. I, I don't know. Noodles. <laughs> Where are you, Noodles? Next time, maybe next. We time. <laughs> No, he says oh, to say hello. Poor he's, Noodles. He's a huge fan. Ah, oh, Noodles. Noodles. This was outside of my uh, range of knowledge. This would have been a Noodles-approved podcast. <laughs> uh, I am very, very despondent that uh, we were not able to accommodate you. So please, uh, please uh, send Noodles hugs. You I, know what? You should uh, tell Noodles if he wants to come to like a Talking Dead or something, or at midnight or something. He's more than welcome. To oh, it. he would love to. Any any time. Yeah, found, he'll appreciate the shout out as well. That's so. very that's very yeah. easy. Excellent. So, so quick, what are you working on now? What are you working on right now? Uh, uh, new songs? Yes, new songs. New songs. Yeah. Uh, definitely talk about the songs. But I, talk about the songs first, and then I'm just going to start poking your brain. About, about. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Yeah, but d- 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 your, your story is insane. Your story is insane. <laughs> well, th- thank who, you. Who takes a break from science to then be in a band that is very successful and then says, well, now I'm going to go back and try to cure AIDS. Like, yeah. who? It just, just kind of made sense. <laughs> yeah, we did just put out a single. We had a record that came out, uh, I guess, a couple years ago. And instead of staying in the studio and for a year or whatever and putting together a record, we thought, let's just put out a song here and there for a while and keep us happy, keep yeah. the kids happy, hopefully. And we're kind of in the middle of that right now, which is great. It's actually been nice not... Doing a whole album for a little while. Sure. Uh, well, does the concept of an album mean, doesn't even really mean anything anymore? We've had these discussions in the studio. <laughs> and like, why? Why are we doing this? Because the kid downslo- downloads it in ten minutes and he's on to the next thing. You know, we've gotten these emails as soon as our record comes out. The very day it comes out, they're like, "I love it. When's your next record coming out?" You know. <laughs> like, but we just we just did. Yeah, it just so. it took a long time. They're, they're and, very hard to make. And you know, we've even talked to each other. Like people don't digest music that way anymore. It's not really how it is as an album, but. We always come back to the fact that, well, you know, we're, we're a rock band, and rock bands make albums, and that's what we're into and what inspired us. So, uh, you know, we'll definitely do another album. Does it still feel exactly the same as when you, I mean, you guys have a specific dynamic together that is, that is consistent, or do you feel like your process has changed since the 90s? Uh, I think we all kind of know, you know, who each other are, and we get along pretty well. So I don't think anyone's surprised when we get in the studio and like, you came up with this, you know. We all kind of just work with it. Well, that's good. Yeah. So what, when did you... I just, can you please just walk me through the timeline a little bit? Um, where you went to school and then how you first started getting into molecular biology and then how you decided 
I'm going to take a break from. I just, I'm sure you've told the story before, but I would love to just like a little quick, quick hit uh, to the timeline. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we all grew up in Garden Grove, basically, Orange mm-hmm. County. Yep. And uh, went to high school there and stuff. And um, I guess three, three of the four of us all went to the same high school. And what year was this? Uh, I graduated '84. Okay. Yeah. So all around that. What was time. What was the Orange Curtain like in the early '80s? Yeah. Well. Uh, you know, people, when you, you look at old punk rock movies and stuff, it's supposed to be very boring and, and very defined and all that stuff. And, and I think that was kind of true. When you grow up in something, you don't necessarily realize what you're growing up to it. You kind of react to it instinctively, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So what we did is we got into punk rock. It's just what, It just seemed like the thing to do. I don't know. I didn't think about why so much then. But we were into the Dead Kennedys and Social Distortion. And, and uh, there were a lot of Orange County bands we really liked, like TSOL and the Adolescents. But, you know, the Ramones, of course, and the Sex Pistols. And we kind of shared that love. And we would, would go to shows and drink beer on the weekends. So it was, so it was basically because you must have been a good student. I did good in school. <laughs> I, did. I came naturally. I, I don't know. <clears throat> you know, and that's hard, that's hard when you're a kid, too, because you kind of don't want to, like, it, it makes you stand out in a weird way sometimes. So you're kind of always trying to underplay it, you know, like you'd have a conversation with someone and you'd think of a big word and then you'd try to think of a smaller word so you didn't come across like... <laughs> you're like some kind of massage woman hater or something. Were you know? <laughs> trying to use big words? <laughs> right. Nerd alert. So like, but is it... I mean, when, when The Offspring first broke, what, what did, was there that... <laughs> was there that urge to suppress the like don't let them know you're a science guy or you know, it's like it's all it's all thrash it's all thrash rock don't let them know about the science <laughs> yeah. part yeah uh i think that just came out pretty quickly and uh the the press people really wanted to go with that a lot they're like oh we got to put dexter on the cover wearing a lab coat and like they really want to take it <laughs> sure way too far that's about as and far as they'll dig <laughs> lab coat scientists have that's that it, right, right? <laughs> yeah so we and we really kind of wanted to stay away from that, so we kind of downplayed that for a long time. Uh, I think it would be much better to have you in uh, like a silver cowboy suit with a hat riding an mRNA strand. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe that would have been better than that just would be a awesome. Coat. Yeah, exactly. They're gonna they have to get serious with accurate diagrams and you know stuff like that. So, but what's interesting is is in kind of um, were you still hearing a buzz? Okay. In writing, you know, when you're you're writing something, I feel like a lot of times you're expressing what's in your environment, right? So how did you, how do you keep, is there, is there hidden, is there hidden science stuff or is there hidden nerd stuff in, in the songs that you know about, but, you know, but is, is kind Uh, of like Easter eggy stuff? Well, sort of, I guess. I, I don't know if I really think about it that way. Actually, a lot of things that I think about or I like, I feel like. You know, I couldn't write that because no one else would relate to it. You know, like, uh, uh, I like to fly, uh, but I don't really write songs about flying because I, I don't know how to connect with the average person. You know. <laughs> On how you to pilot their about, own jet aircraft? I, I, yeah, yeah, you know. Don't put the altimeter down to 100 feet, stuff like that. You, don't wanna, you just don't want to go there. But you understand if you just sang it in the offspring cadence that people would think you're like – I mean, if you sang literally about flying a plane, people would think that it was a metaphor for something. Like, man, this is so deep. <laughs> and maybe just go, go with it, right? <clears throat> There's actually one good story about how the, the science thing did translate. And so I was in graduate school. I guess we're kind of going back and forth in yeah. time here or whatever. But uh, I actually had to pour some Petri dishes. You know what those things are, yes. right? And what you do is you take this giant flask that looks like that. It's called an Erlenmeyer flask, I'm right? familiar, yes. Okay. And I had to pour a whole bunch of them. And so you fill it up with this stuff that's almost like jello, and you got to get it really, really super hot so it's sterilized. And I had to make so much, I had to make like 200 Petri dishes. So I put these two of them next to each other in this big, giant oven that sterilizes it and stuff. And once it gets done, it's super hot, and it's really thick. It's really viscous, so it's not going to cool down forever. So I put it under a hood and had the, the, the fan on forever, and I touched it 20 minutes later, and it's still super hot. I can barely touch it. And I thought, these things are never going to cool down. i got to keep them separated. I was hoping that's where you were going. I was hoping that's where you were going. That, that is the no, I was the, so hoping that's where you were going. The no, the no shit actual story I've had. And I was like, wow, I like that line. i got to do something with that. God damn it. See, science can be very profitable. Yeah, can't we? That's, that's right. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. Uh, did it, but did anyone, no one at the time would have thought, 
Oh, the song's about petri dishes. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> now, well, the other part of that story is that I drove to uh, USC every day and I commuted from Orange County, so I went through some pretty bad neighborhoods on a daily basis and you saw evidence of the, the gang life and all that stuff and the graffiti and, and so keep them separated became more of a metaphor of, of, of gang life. Yeah. That's good. You just turn, you turn Petri dishes and you're like, but it's a metaphor for life. It is. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you write about altimeters, then people will think that it's something, that it's something more. Maybe something more, right? When did you get your pilot license? Uh, uh, 20 years ago, I guess now. Really? Yeah. And so you're licensed yeah. to fly, you're licensed to fly like full commercial jet aircraft? I, uh, yeah. I got rated all the way up to, they call it airline transport. Like I could fly for the airlines, but, uh. Do you know how amazing it would be if all of a sudden it was like, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain, Dexter Holland speaking, and then you break into a song? I, I should totally do that, huh? <laughs> how are you able to, I mean, it's, I, this is one of my favorite things about doing this podcast and talking to people is so much of the time you, you see people for, a, there's so much to process and you categorize everyone like, oh, this guy is about this and this woman's about this and this person just does this but to meet you and talk to you and know that not only do you have an extensive uh science background and you're currently working on uh trying to understand hiv but you also have your you also are a rated pilot at the same time when you very easily could have just said yeah fuck you i'm in the offspring and that's it the end (laughs) like you could have just done that and that and i don't think anyone would have faulted you yeah. for that but yeah. so what is it specifically specifically about your personality and furthermore your work ethic and your drive that that uh, that that forces you to to really take everything as far as you can yeah yeah i don't know because it's there you know it's one of those one of those things i guess right I guess you probably want a better answer than that. <laughs> well, I, but if that's really if that's really what it is, I guess I'm really I'm interested in stuff. I think stuff is cool, and I just think when I, I see something I like, I'm like, well, that would be really rad to do that. Why not give it a shot? I guess maybe the the problem is I I never know when I get into something what a bad idea it usually is because <laughs> you're going to be really terrible at it for a long time or it's going to cost a lot of money or take all your time and stuff and it takes a while to get over that hump you know sure the band was a good a, a good example where it took us ten years you know we were like super into it and really like I said inspired by the punk bands and started playing and couldn't get anyone to come to the shows and didn't realize really how terrible we were as a band. We were not good at all for a really long time. We didn't, we didn't have, take lessons. We didn't own instruments when we started the band. We, we liter- literally said, let's start a band. And like, okay, what do you want to play? You know, and chose our instruments on the spot. Oh, wow. So that made the curve a little longer. <laughs> right? That is a very fierce learning curve. Like we have to not just yeah. learn the music business, but learn actually how to play instruments yeah. at the same time. So when, at what point did you... Did it go because it, with anything, with anything that's a craft or uh, or something that starts out as fun or a hobby, at, at a certain point, it does kind of become a, a chore. Like it's the the maintenance of it and the growing of it more than just the first couple weekends. You're like, oh fuck, you really got to work at this. Yeah. So it, so how did you guys focus and what what kept you going along the way to keep pursuing? Yeah. It honestly w- wasn't like that. It was like, this is so much fun. And every, every little thing you did was like, wow, we're actually making our own records. You know, like everything we did was DIY. They still say that, right? Mm-hmm. Do it to yourself, right? But it was out of necessity. It, w- it wasn't like, we're so cool, we're going to do, I, you know, we'd love to have someone make our t-shirts, but no one was willing to do that. So <laughs> you had to do all your own stuff, right? We actually, we had to glue together our own record sleeves because we had them printed, but we didn't have the extra nickel to per sleeve to get it glued. Oh my God. So we were doing it, but it wasn't like it was a bummer. It's like, let's get a couple cases of beer and go to the bass player's house and we'll, we'll just do it on Saturday or whatever. So uh, youth. I know, right. <laughs> I'll be like, I don't know if I can fucking glue records. <laughs> yeah, pay someone to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then we started playing in Berkeley and that was really fun. That's where we first got a following and stuff, but it was, it really took a long time and it was, it was just something we like to do though. Do you, um, do you, do you appreciate the fact that you had to build this in a pre-social media era? I mean, now, not, not that social media is easy to figure out, but at yeah. least there is a, the potential for reach in a megaphone. But, you know, at that time, which I assume is probably the mid to late 80s, it's, it, you're, you're really, it's really just word of mouth at that point, right? Word of mouth. Cassettes. 
Yes. <laughs> I think we did realize even back then that you're going to reach a lot more people with your little CD or your cassette than you ever are with a live show or, or by talking to somebody and stuff. So it was important for us to record stuff and get it out from the very beginning. How were you getting it out, though? Yeah. We send to fanzines. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You could buy cassettes at Radio Shack. They're mm-hmm. like 12-pack cassettes. I remember. Yeah. So you could buy those for like a buck a piece, I think. You know, 10 bucks for 10 or something. And then you dub them on your cassette player at home. Yeah. And slap on the label and send it out. It's kind of funny that, that philosophically that hasn't really changged much. That people still... And it almost seems like the, the sloppier something is, the more homespun it is, the more authentic it is for people. Because it's sure. not... You know, if something's really shiny and polished, then people are automatically suspicious. But like, that's a comp- that's a corporation. You're trying to sell me yeah. a thing. Yeah, Particularly yeah. if you're doing like, if you're doing like thrash, if it's super packaged and super slick. So I wonder when you guys did start to make it, did that affect your 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 initial core group of fans who were like, "Fuck, you guys sold out because your album looks like someone printed it." Yeah. Well. For sure, there's a little bit of that. I guess the, the, I think there, there's two sides of it, right? Where they're definitely, like you said, it almost makes it more meaningful if it seems flawed or imperfect, that sort of thing. And uh, the other side of it is whenever you hear a band's old record that sounds really shitty and is super cool, they were never trying to make it sound like that. They wanted to make it sound <laughs> fucking great. That was the best they could do, right? And that's what we did. We had shitty amps and shitty production and stuff, and we were pretty excited about it, but... Uh, and you can look back at it now and go, oh, that's actually pretty – that's kind of cool in its own way. Things can have a, a charm, right? Yes. So <clears throat> how do you then – because I just – I see these uh, – maybe they're not dichotomous, but it feels like there's a dichotomy to me between um, this artistic side, which like you just said, you have, you know, like embraces flaws. A lot of the best stuff comes from flaws and it's good to embrace your flaws versus science – which is all about stamping out all the flaws and it's very exact and it has to, you know, the math has to check out and the science has to be slick and perfect. Like, how do you, do you see a, a disparity between those two things or do you feel like they're just part of the half of the same whole? Yeah, I mean, they say that, that music and math are very related and a lot of people that are good at songwriting are good at math also. And I, I don't know for sure if that's true, but um, I think I do kind of see songs as, as things you can almost visualize them i guess right if it's a certain chorus part or the way a harmony fits together and stuff so uh i never thought about it being perfect or imperfect but you're always trying to write like the perfect song right i think uh we or they were talking about that like the ideal of the perfect song it's got to be out there somewhere and you can never get to it of course but right. it's kind of a nice idea that it has just the right structure and all that stuff yeah but with science you can't really you can't really just go Oh, well, I'll just embrace the flaws with this. Like you really, when that happens, you got to start all over and you have to make it work. Maybe. I don't know. I think sometimes things get fudged a little bit in science also, right? You think, well, of course. I mean, it's whenever, uh, it, how many times something has to be peer reviewed once it gets published and they go, you know, this just happened with like with Warp Drive a couple of weeks ago and a bunch of people said, how come you're not talking about Warp Drive? And I was like, because it hasn't been peer-reviewed yet. And once they do, it's probably not going to check out. And of course, what happens? Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. So it, it is, it's also interesting to see social media with science because people can blurt stuff out without having, and, and most citizens will not take the time to thoroughly dissect and try to understand. They just see things on the surface. For sure. I mean, that's the internet, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of anti-science, the internet, I guess. <laughs> in a weird way. Right? I mean, I feel like the internet wants to embrace science, and sections of it want to embrace science, but I feel like, as a whole, the internet, the entity of the internet, just embraces whatever it sees on the surface in a moment, and it's goes, okay, very, that, that's, that's reality. Very gossipy, right? So it's pseudoscience, I guess. So had you completed, at what, what level had you completed of your education before you, and when did you decide to break off for a while and then go pursue music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to not make it a long story, but the timeline is that, you know, after high school, we had just started the band. We knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. 
but it was fun. So, you know, uh, a couple of us went to college. I got accepted to USC, and I decided to, to go for pre-med. I thought I wanted to be a doctor at the time, <laughs> right? That's, that, you, could, you could have been. <laughs> probably, probably. But uh, as time went on, I still, you know, I was going home every weekend to do band stuff, and that was just really important to us. And I knew that that's what I loved, and I figured I had to get a job eventually. But the more real medical school came because it was getting closer and closer, the more I sort of started self-sabotaging a little bit, not sending in the applications on time and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then, whoops, I didn't get in. Like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to do the band now, right? <laughs> but I still didn't have a job or, or know what I was going to do, and I got accepted to graduate school. Now, graduate school is a great way to avoid reality in Absolutely. the real world. Enjoy. You can really stretch that out for a long time if you want to, right? It is, and, and it's so amazing that, you know... I know there's value in, in, in continuing education and there's yeah. value in graduate school. And, but it also – parts of it are like, that's a pretty good business model for the schools. Like, oh, no, no. You actually need more school. Yeah. If you want to be more respected – I mean it's, it's almost the educational version of like breath strips. Like, okay, you know, if you want people to like you more, you got to buy these <laughs> things. And, it's, right. and it is when really we live in an age where <coughs> you, you could learn anything – from your phone, you could really learn anything in a moment. So mm-hmm. attending, you know, this, this graduate school program does feel like it ha- feels half scammy to me. Right, right. And you know, and I'm saying that half jokey because I did like what I was doing and stuff. But um, I part of my pre uh, undergraduate curriculum was was genetics, which is another word for molecular biology, pretty much. So uh, I decided that's the part of biology I liked the best, and so I went into that. And kept on going, and it was taking a long time, but we were doing the band thing on the side. And then one day, the band sort of, it finally actually took off. So, What was that moment? Uh, we started getting played on K-Rock. It was K-Rock, right. Come out and play, yeah, and, um, which was amazing in itself. And then we heard that it was, it was the number one most requested like within a week, and then it went to MTV within four weeks, and it just it really went when it went. I mean, K-Rock, because I, I, was, I, I was on air at K-Rock from 95 to 98. And so that was like, a, that was a sweet spot for you guys, like mm-hmm. that, that period. And it, was, it seemed very advantageous that K-Rock had such a strong Orange, Orange County following that I don't think it was an accident that uh, like so many Orange County bands, which were right in K-Rock's backyard and right of their audience, blew up. And then, you know, right. K-Rock was essentially yeah. like, um, K-Rock was like a subreddit. And it, if you got voted <laughs> to the top of that subreddit, then MTV, like the rest of music culture, was re- was the front page. And it's like, oh, it got voted to the top of, of K Rock, so now it must be now it's going to make the front page. K Rock and MTV were really connected because the people that worked at K Rock, as you as you probably know, went to MTV and stuff. Yeah. So that means you probably introduced one of our songs on the radio at one Tons. point, right? Tons because Up you guys next. you guys were in heavy rotation. You guys were in very heavy rotation. So. Uh, and that meant that in um, if I had a four hour shift, you'd get played twice. That's how I, that's how you knew a song <laughs> wow. was in heavy rotation. Wow! So right. uh, yeah, it was an interesting. Y- you guys were um, kind of gl- gliding like I-, I was there for the last sort of sputtering of grunge into the more like Orange County thrash rock, which, yeah. which was really you know yeah. like when I was when I was there, that was really the, that was the time for it. Awesome. So yeah. it. Was it literally one day you're like, oh, fuck, we were on K-Rock. Did you know they were going to play it or just Weatherly? Just to, Kevin Weatherly was the pro, his program director there. He just yeah. picked it and threw it on. Didn't know. Didn't know. Actually, I got the call like half an hour before they played it. They said, hey, they had a music meeting. They played 15 songs. And they rejected them all but yours. They were going to play it. Jed's going to play it on the morning or the afternoon drive or whatever. And nice. And so I know. And I was I was at school. I was in the lab. You know, like <laughs> I got to find a radio. I got to turn the radio on. Yeah, that's so it crazy. Pretty, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So I mean, and we still didn't know what we were going to do or how far it was going to go. And but within about two months, it was it was going. I think the record had made the top twenty. The album made the top twenty, and it was it was time to like if you're going to do it, you got to go. You got to get on the road now and really go. So. At the time, you know, our bass player didn't, he had a job he didn't really care about. Uh, Noodles was a janitor, uh, a great janitor, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but he was actually concerned. He had, a, he had a daughter to take care of and stuff. And, uh, you know, I was going to have to quit school. And, you know, my family was concerned about that. And, of course, my mom didn't understand, like, are you sure this is a good idea? You know, why are you leaving school for a punk rock band and stuff? But 
uh, it all it all worked out. And luckily, pretty quickly, you know, a lot of bands, I think they're kind of in that <clears throat> that zone where you're not sure if it's really gonna gonna go for a while. Sure. And luckily for us, that that didn't really happen. Well, yeah, I mean, not, there there were a ton of you know for for every. Offspring story. There's like a Dishwalla story. You know what I mean? Where it's like one. one. Hey, I love Dishwalla. I did. Too. I did too. But they had the one. You know, they had the one song that. K- I mean, from the K Rock perspective, they had the one song that K Rock played all the time, and then just didn't really. You know, I mean, there was there were so many bands that I, I remember even when 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 Loser came out by Beck. I was like, well, this guy's probably never going to have another thing ever that. And then of course, you know, because it was such a. So a lot of the songs K Rock would pick almost felt like um, not they just felt like very much like songs of the moment. Mm-hmm. So if a band could have if a band could then have a second song and a third song that K Rock would play, then you knew they that, that band was probably going to be around for a while. But but a lot of times it was just it was just one song and then K Rock was just, just the one. Just, and, and we got lucky that we got a second one and a, and a third one. Yeah, so. yeah. It, uh, it I, I guess that still happens now. Maybe it's just more gradual. Maybe you know. Maybe it's more like with um, the, the overnight thing, the the ten year overnight thing. Though you work for ten years, then you become uh, an overnight success. But I guess I guess YouTube is really the the equivalent of that now. Of someone just all of a sudden going viral, and then but radio now. I feel like yeah, they played their song on the radio. Oh, big deal. You know. I mean, is that is that still a big deal to get played on the radio? I think it is for sure. And, I, and people talk about the social media, which is super important, but. Uh, I don't think the radio's not going anywhere. I, I don't think that's a big part of it. And I actually think it goes in cycles, and it's very singlesy feeling. I think to me sure. right now, right? And that happened in what the sixty happened in the seventies, of course, and then it became more band oriented. The nineties, for sure, was a lot more like that. Yeah, I just don't know if people really understand the idea of you know listen to an album the way that it was written start to finish and take the journey yeah it's just sort of like i'll take this band i'll take this from over here and then i'll just now i have a now i have my own playlist you don't have to and yeah and i'm playing you know video games the whole time also yeah and also when your song comes up uh you know like in itunes it's it's already telling people like well you should listen to this other one over here like it's already (laughs) onto the next directing you into you know to 10 other directions yeah so I I um uh, I pulled this off your Wikipedia page because this is a phenomenal paragraph. As of 2013, <laughs> Holland is a doctoral student in the, at the Laboratory of Viral Oncology and Proteomics Research, Keck School of Medicine, where he is supervised. Uh, and then it has your supervisor's professor's name. March 2013, Holland and co-authors published a paper. Uh, regarding microRNA and HIV genomes, titled Identification of Human MicroRNA-like Sequences Embedded with the Protein Encoding Genes of the Human Immunodeficiency Virus. Uh, so, uh, it says that this describes the use of computational, computational molecular biology uh, to identify microRNA-like sequences in HIV. So, uh, it's just, I mean... That fucking blows my mind. <laughs> that blows my mind. You know the offspring? Yeah, yeah, they're still around, but that guy is uh, sequencing RNA and HIV. Okay, right. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. How <laughs> <laughs> to it, take that? It's, it's just it's 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 a huge compliment because it's you when you quit school, most people don't go back to school. There's right. like oh, I'll go back. So I mean. Yeah. I left school like in my final quarter to go work at MTV, and I, of course, I'm, I'm, at the time I told my mom like I can always go back. I'm not gonna go back <laughs> right, to finish yeah. out my philosophy degree. <laughs> but you went like something about you went back and yeah. decided that science was important to you. I didn't think I was going to actually, uh, especially because with the band thing when it's going, it's like you know I asked my manager I go what would happen if I took a couple years off to finish school and he's like forget it. <laughs> It's over, right? <laughs> so I didn't for a long time, but then I realized I kind of could. And uh, uh, you know, when I when I dropped out, I basically dropped out of school, right? And all I had to do was write the dissertation, which is a big job, but I was that's like three course three fourths of the way there. So uh, it always kind of bugged me, and it just kind of kept on bugging me. Like ten years later, like you know, I just didn't finish that. It's kind of a shame. It'd be cool if I finished it, you know. And I think it brings about other other opportunities in, in a way, you know, I don't know what they are exactly, but, uh, you know, maybe Bono will come calling or something, you know, <laughs> right? he's, you know, he's into helping out with the AIDS problem and all that. It's so. just, it's amazing. Like when I think about how <laughs> you could, you could fly yourself from the weenie roast to then curing AIDS, like your whole <laughs> life is such an interesting 
is such an interesting uh, tapestry yeah. of things that, you know, I, I, the reason that I'm leaning on it so heavily is because I want people to understand that what makes them interesting and what makes them unique is all the different things that they're into. And you were proving that you can do all of those things as far as you can possibly take them. It doesn't have to just be one thing. If you like music, you can take music as far as you want. And then you can also pursue science and you can also pursue flying. And and so it's a, you know, there must be something, there must be something about what drives you or how, how you, how you do that other than, well, it just seemed fun. Like you obviously, you seem like a chill guy, but, but your, your Wikipedia page would suggest that you're not a chill guy because you're (laughs) you're into a lot of stuff. I guess I just want to take it as far as, as I can go, you know, for, for sure. So what, so to, what is your, what is your uh, doctoral program like now? What does it involve on a daily basis and, and how, how does it play out? Yeah. I mean, like I said before, I had done the majority of the work work. So I'd already taken the classes and you have to take these really gnarly oral exams where all the professors try to make you feel like you don't know anything. And, sure. and it's a grilling process, hazing basically, right? That uh, that's all kind of done. And, I'm, and they were, USC was actually super, super cool when they said, you can come back even though it's been... 18 years or whatever, and you can just pick up where you left off. No, no remedial work. Uh, just go ahead and finish. So that's been really great. And what I'm doing is mostly right now it's computational, which means I can do research on the computer and write it up. And uh, I don't necessarily – I'm not reporting to the lab every morning, if you know what I mean. Right. So that way I can still do what I'm doing. I'm going on tour, and you know the band's a very big part of our life, obviously. <laughs> Most, you know, noodles can most, keep it down. Most people are getting blown by groupies, and you're sequencing <laughs> RNA. Please, I'm, I'm sequencing RNA. That's, that's right. <laughs> Cut with a beer bong already. I'm trying. To, I'm, I'm trying to read like Napoleon Dynamite. You guys, I'm trying to read my biology. <laughs> keep it down on the bus back here. I'm trying to understand HIV better. I mean, from a scientific point of view. Uh, what, so what, what do you, what is it specifically that you're trying to discover by sequencing the RNA? Right. Uh, well, I don't know how to detail to get it, right? You're trying to keep it where it's BD, just, just say, just say whatever you think yeah. and people, if they get it, they get it. If they don't, fuck them. all right. I mean, I think, I think genetics is super cool. There, I said it, right? Yes. <laughs> it goes, goes all the way back to figuring out what, what color flowers are going to be when you cross them and all that stuff. And different things come out at different times. Like when they discovered DNA was a genetic material, that was amazing in 1953. And then they discovered other things along the way. It was really cool. And, and one of the latest things in the last 10 years or so is they discovered this thing called microRNA. So they are RNA, which is like DNA, but a little different. But they're very small, thus the micro, and that's why no one discovered them before because they were hard to see. Sure. They were very small. Uh, But what they do is they latch on to bigger RNAs, and by latching on, they shut them off. So it's essentially an off switch uh, for your genes. And for your body to be healthy, you have to turn genes on and off. Sometimes you want to grow. Sometimes you don't want to grow, that sort of thing. So the on-off switches are really important, and microRNAs are an important off switch. Sure, and then, but it's never just as simple as shutting something off. Like I would assume that if you start shutting things off, that it has an effect because there is, you know, we are a holistic entity, and so if you start fucking with one thing, then something else could potentially suffer. For sure, right? So there has to be ways to shut off the off switch to turn it on. You know, that whole thing. It gets very, obviously super, super complicated. And uh, I think viruses are really interesting. Uh, 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 they're obviously, you know, a huge cause of human suffering, which is a great reason to, to look into them and see if you can figure something out. But there's also something about it that is just so evil. It's just, it's <laughs> wild. You know, they're not considered living organisms because they can't reproduce by themselves. They have to, they have to infect you in order to make new copies of themselves. Sure. But, uh, and people probably don't know, like a, a typical virus will go, it'll latch on the top of your cell, like a lunar lander. It injects its DNA and the DNA tells the cell, don't make any more of your own stuff. You're now only going to make more viruses. It'll make like 100 viruses. And the last instruction is now blow up. And then those 100 viruses go out and infect other cells. And that's so gnarly, right? It's like, that's you, incredible. It basically sounds like Agent Smith describing humans to Morpheus in The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> that's really not the idea. are a virus. <laughs> right. But it's uh, uh, from the... From from its point of view, it's just trying to survive. It's just trying to survive, right? 
And that's just the arms, the arms race. Right? But, um, so what they do, what viruses do, is they figure out how to mess up what's going on in the cell. If the certain process is supposed to happen, they figure out how to, to hijack it or whatever. And so uh, some viruses actually make microRNAs. They've somehow figured out how to do that, and they can shut off things in the cell that they want to turn off. So that's all pretty amazing. And we're trying to understand how microRNAs might be used in, uh, in an HIV infection and in its pathogenesis and see if there's some way basically we want to understand it so we can interfere with it sure so is it is it a is it a question of uh, duplicating a um or, or copying uh, like a a white hat virus where you essentially send a virus to attack a, 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 a another virus you can if you know what a microRNA is what it does you can actually make an anti-microRNA you can synthesize it throw it in the cell and it'll it'll neutralize it and how far away are we, do you think, from really being able to use this technology? They're doing that with certain um, liver diseases. I guess with the liver, it's an easier organ for people to mess around with. Yeah. So there's actually a couple of them for, I think it's hepatitis C. There's some drugs in development and stuff. They're actually anti-microRNAs. Wow. So it's pretty amazing. It is, yeah, it's here. They're doing it. They just got to figure out how to do it with all the different cell types and viruses and what have you. Do you teach it all ever? No. No. Because what's interesting about just listening to the way you the way that you express what you're working on, and also what you said earlier about how sometimes you had to kind of dumb down your speech so that people would understand what you're talking about, <laughs> uh, you 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 ha- you're expressing you're expressing these ideas in very like you're exp- you're expressing science in hangout terms, yeah, which sort of like yeah, well you know this one this one virus is like a douchebag over here, so this other one's got it. Like you explain <laughs> you explain in kind of in just sort of colloquial language, like what's going on, I think you could be a very valuable teacher, or perhaps, or, 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 or maybe a lecture series, or an app where you explain. I, I think people up. would listen to you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's important. I think that's actually a, a part that's really that makes school so difficult is the people that know so much about it. They're so up in the, the language and all that 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 the communication of it is not really very good. And that's what turns so many students off. But sure. if you did explain it like, so bro, this virus is gnarly. It fucking totally fucks up your cell, right? You feel like shit. This is why <laughs> I think that would engage. That would actually engage students a lot more. Wouldn't it? Yes. Mike bro biology. Yeah. I think, Mike- <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. that's what you need to be teaching. You always need to fucking building so you can teach these kids what's going on. Because it right. is, it is, um, it is, I, I wonder what the margin of error is with, with people who simply because they had a poor communicator as a teacher that, didn't understand something or didn't pursue something that they otherwise would have had an aptitude for if they had just if it, it just it just seems like a like a language issue it is a lot of times i think even I, i've run across some people i mean I, and this isn't a diss on usc because usc has been really really good to me they've been great but but i do see sometimes in other people or professors it's almost like if you don't know this you're just going to have to figure it out because i had to struggle with it and stuff and so you end up going back to textbooks and that so that can be very difficult like if you go to like if if you, your car has trouble and you go to the mechanic if the guy would just explain it to you you could probably do half of it yourself right <laughs> but he's not going to help you you got it or like uh, you're going to have to suck it up and figure it out and spend a thousand hours learning how the carburetor works and you don't do it and so i think that's what turns off a lot of people from fixing their own cars sure well that that i mean there there is that sort of like uh the 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 previous generation struggle and be like, no, I, I, this sucked for me, so this has got to suck for you. <laughs> it doesn't I, have to, you know. I don't, a- I don't know if that's what it is or what, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I like to say it's not rocket science, and sometimes rocket science really is rocket science and stuff. But you can you can break down these things into simpler principles that are easier to understand. Yeah. I, I, but so I feel like you have a responsibility as an educator <laughs> to, 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 to put this information out. And then, so, you know, it's be great. You could, <coughs> you could give a lecture and then like, play a couple songs. <laughs> That's, <laughs> right. That's right, right. This is, this wow, is... I'd be like a Hare Krishna or something. You know? like a... <laughs> Just start Feed a compound. Them. Just start a compound. <laughs> I mean, right. it's kind of interesting. I mean, like, it never occurred to me that the name of your band is a, is a genetic reference. I know, actually. Well, our first drummer uh, went to UCLA, and he was also pre-med, 
And man, he really like he had to get into medical school. Like that was it for sure. So eventually, he wasn't really showing up to practice, and it, it didn't work out. I'm still good friends with him, but he came up with the name actually. So it probably has something to do with his pre med. So when you guys broke, was he like, "Fuck, oh, man"? <laughs> he said he had just started a residency in Pittsburgh and was like <laughs> unpacking his TV in an apartment and turned it on, and we were on. It's like, oh my god! But now he's he's happy with what he's doing and stuff. He's doing some amazing cancer research actually. That's amazing. Yeah, I, this is wonderful. Are you uh, so? What, like, when do you when do you complete the PhD program? It's whenever you finish. You know, I, I hope to finish in the next six to twelve months. Oh wow! Then what? I know exactly. Apparently, I have to become a teacher. You could, <laughs> you could, just as a yeah. side gig. You know, six six months of teaching, six months of touring. Yeah. I'm really not sure where it's going to go. Um, remember there was that, uh, that really cool uh, Steve Jobs speech where he said he was into different stuff but didn't know what it was. And like he really liked computers, but he really liked calligraphy. And it was years later that it came together as the what you see is what you get, where you have your fancy fonts on the screen yes. and stuff. And so I kind of see this like that, where I'm not sure where it's going to take me or where it all fits in, but we'll see. But, it's, but, it, but again, it's more about... I, I like the fact that for you, the actual PhD is sort of secondary to the journey of it, which I guess is, you know, I always try to convey this to people. It's like, you know, goals are, a, they're sort of a roadmap. It's like they'll, they'll kind of point you in a direction, but what you become from the journey is like, that's the meat. That's the most important part. For sure. For sure. And this one's been difficult in certain ways too, because it's just a mountain of knowledge. So it's actually been it's been pretty tough to get through all all the material and stuff, but but it's great. We're get, I'm getting there. Is navigating the music business tougher than navigating <laughs> science, or is it? Those people are assholes. Uh, <laughs> I, that, you know, like I said, that journey was something that I just I loved. I loved every time. It's like, wow. You mean if I want to play your club, I just send you a cassette and then I call you. 10 times until you let me play, you know, like that was a different kind of learning experience. Yeah. Do you think you, do you think you will always, um, have music in your life or do you think there's a certain point where you're like, ah, I, I did that for sure. For, for sure. I mean, I, I, I liked biology and I like it even more now and stuff, but you know, I think when you're a kid, like the band thing is like, wow, that's a, that's a big deal. And that still hasn't, hasn't gone away. Yeah. Yeah, we still love, you know, getting out on stage and playing and stuff. And I love songwriting, of course, and making records because you're, you're, it's like you're creating something. You're watching it come to life. And, but when you play the shows, there's that immediate reaction of the crowd and stuff. And we're very lucky. We, we, we just played some shows last week, and, and it, was, it was nuts. People just, you know, singing along. They know all the words and stuff. And, and they're young, too. I mean, they're high school age and whatever, and they're into it. You know you're the closest thing that... Uh, the world has to a Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> Did that, that ever occur? To I you? watched that movie like a year ago because <laughs> I had heard references about it. I go, I gotta see. It's kind of a funny movie, right? Yeah, you know, like they they try, <laughs> they try. It got we. I mean, like the movie, the movie it's not had, funny. You didn't write it problems. or something, right? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's kind of a funny. Movie. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's the concept of it. You're like, <laughs> it was flawed. I write. No, no, it was, no, like, it was yeah. flawed. It was definitely flawed. Yeah. <laughs> It was a fun movie, but you know, rock star scientists. I mean, you know, yeah. it's the it's you might hold the key to some type of weird uh, dimensional portal. M- maybe I'll see what I can do about that. When you uh, when you did you take a, a significant amount of time off? Like at a certain point, did you decide I just I can't take the music stuff anymore? I just need a break from it. I have to recharge. I have to kind of hole up for a while. Yeah, we, we tend to do that after what we call like a record cycle because, you know, you spend a long time working on the record and then you're out playing for people, you know, so you can be on tour for, well, before you know it, it's two years, you know, sure. two and a half years because you've spent a year and a half making the record and a year on the road. So you, you have to recharge a little bit. Um, we've never like taken like a, a full on year long sabbatical or anything like that, but um, but you have to you have to take time off. One thing that we do do is when we go on tour, we don't go for two months at a time. That's just is it's just too gnarly. Mm-hmm. So we try to keep it to three weeks, and it ends up being maybe four weeks or something. Somehow, right. it always gets a little longer. But uh, Some guys, some people really just love being on the road, though. Like, they can't, 
It was like, yeah, I own a place, but I'm never at it. You know, like they're just on a tour bus. All yeah. The time. yeah. I've heard like Bob Dylan did like 270 days last year or something like Jesus that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, God bless him. Good for him. That's amazing. But that that's not me. I couldn't do that. Do you have kids? Yeah. How many kids do you have? Uh, two. Two kids? Yeah. Are they? Uh, do they have an aptitude for either science or music that you've noticed yet? Uh, music. Yeah. Music for sure. Do you, and as a parent, do you feel like... Because it's almost now where if you kind of force them, if you kind of force music too much, they're going to be like, shut up, dad. I want to be a banker. You know, like you kind of, or do you just sort of step back and let them figure out their own stuff? I have a friend who decided that he wanted his kids to be cool with music. So he told them that country was really cool for a long time. <laughs> forced them, said, country's so great, so great, so that they would rebel against the country and, yes. and listen to good music. But uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, we have a 10-year-old, and she's actually she's really into the band, which is, which is cool, because I know that that's going to change when they hit 12 or something. There's a certain age where there's just no way you can like anything your parent does, right? Of course. So that day's coming, but right now it's still okay. Yeah, yeah, but when she's 16, she'll be the only kid in her class into, like, fusion and jazz there's like i just nothing rock oriented for me right it just just have to totally rebel yeah it's funny you say that about country i i love i love classic country okay hated it when i was growing up because my dad listened to it in the car all the time yeah and the fact that it annoyed my mom and myself he thought it was funnier so it was all you know i mean like it was all waylon jennings and all like really intense country and now like i i really Current country music, I'm not. I'm not so much fan because it's so much pop. Mm-hmm. But I really like a good country song now. Right on. It's so true, Dexter. Country music <laughs> is so true. Well, I know. I mean, I can go as far as Johnny Cash, as you know, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, for sure. No, I, yeah. I, I get it for sure. And, and there's a there's a real like you were talking about just talking to the people. I mean, that's the ultimate format for that, right? Yeah. So, how does your voice hold up now with shows? Because yeah. it's not you're. You can be a little screamy sometimes, so that's that takes a toll. It, yeah, it hurts. <laughs> it actually, does my 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 throat's pretty much sore all tour. But what are you gonna do? You know, you see bands like uh, I don't. I'm trying to think of someone who sings really easy, like a Buble guy. You know, like I, I Michael's really great. He's a really super nice guy and an amazing singer. But it's like, fuck, why didn't I sing like that? Why did I have to go out and scream at the top of Gotta my lungs? Keep them separated. <laughs> Or it's like when you go and you see a comedian play and they show up, you know, because we have two trucks and a pay, the payroll is crazy and no one's making any money. And the comedian guy shows up with a stool and a glass of water. It's you're like, great. Fuck. No, it's great. <laughs> yeah. I don't do sound checks when they're like, do you want to do a sound check? I'm like, why? I'm talking. <laughs> Just turn the microphone. Yeah. On. That's awesome. All. You made a good decision. Oh, it's, it's the, well, it's just because I listen. All comedians want to be rock stars. But I also think all rock stars want to be funny. So there is, like, I think there is, we're on both sides of the fence going, it looks pretty rad over there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I yeah. want a podcast. <laughs> you can do a podcast. You need to do a science podcast. All oh, right. This is how you can educate people. Can I be your science correspondent? Please. <laughs> Please do that. I didn't mean to spit only, with excitement. Only in, in bro talk, though. Just bro talk. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is really... I'm not kidding. We could do like a cool animation and then you could narrate and you could explain... You could explain RNA in bro terms. And I honestly think... I think there would be some people who would find it funny for ironic reasons. And then there would be bros who would be like, Oh, fuck, that's sick. You know, like they would really... They would really understand it. I like this. I think something's happening here. This feels like something that we need to be uh, working on together. I'm very excited about it. I mean, it's so often I think people – you seem to be someone who uh, really does kind of live in the present. As What I mean is when I said, what are you going to do when you're done with science? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happens when I get my PhD. I'm just doing it now. Like like that's you living in the moment and enjoying it. And I think that's that's such a good takeaway. That's such a good – that's such a good way to live because it's so stressful to – to fret or worry about what's going to happen in 12 months. I don't know what's going to I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know yeah. what I, And it comes from a good place of you're trying to protect yourself, but it's it creates more worry. Yeah. Maybe. You know, I think because of what we do for a living, the band, like you're always thinking that, well, the band could be over at any moment, you know, which is true. It's going to happen. What happens to almost everybody. Except yeah. the Rolling Stones, I guess. <laughs> ACDC's doing <laughs> Dylan. all right. Dylan, right? Still yeah. on the road. 
So maybe you just kind of have to live with that uncertainty. And I don't know, maybe that's even a motivation. Like, you know, time is short. Yeah. Get it done. Do what you can. Yeah. Is there anything else that you haven't, I mean, like, are there, are there any other fields or any other pursuits that you go, you know, when I'm done with this, I want to give that a try. Uh, maybe scuba. Yeah. I'd be kind of into that. Yeah. Scuba would be cool because at least that's a recreational activity. Yeah. Get you outside. How often do you fly? Do you have to fly a certain amount every month to keep your your uh, license? Uh, it's not really like that, but there are certain requirements to stay current or whatever. Yeah, but I fly probably probably three times a week actually. Oh wow! Yeah. Do you fly to your own? Do you fly yourself to your own gigs? Uh, sometimes depends on how far and that sort of thing. And and actually, a lot of times when we go on tour, I'll bring a pilot along anyway because that's just. That's too many jobs right. to do at once. But I really like it. I mean, you know, for some people, they have golf. That's kind of what I compare it to. You know, like, it's like I think flying golf. a plane is a little more intense than golf. <laughs> well, maybe. You don't, you don't want a hole-in-one flying, I guess, right? <laughs> what, so what, what have you learned? I'm kind of interested to find out like, what each skill set has taught you for your life. Like what mm-hmm. lessons has having to focus on being a pilot taught you and how have you been able to apply... How have you been able to apply each discipline to eat to yeah. anything else? Yeah, I, you know, well, to, to start off with that, I don't look at it that way. Um, it just kind of, it all is what it is. I guess they're all different sides of me or whatever. But um, uh, I think the thing about flying that is that it teaches you is you got to be, you got to pay attention. Like you got to be on your shit, you know, when it's time for that. And, it, and it's easy to kind of go through, cause I, I do it. You go through a week, you're not really paying attention to where you're driving or whatever, but like this really gets you to like focus and pay attention and, uh, and just, you know, be on your shit. And that's sure. And, and I like that about that. I think that's really cool. And also there's a great freedom to it and stuff. You know, when you, that's the, the reward, the payoff is you're up there and you're flying, you know, you can, uh, you can actually fly pretty much wherever you want without talking to anybody if you really want to. It's not always the, the safest thing to do. But, sure. Uh, but there are some times where, like, you know, I want to go to Vegas, and I just want to go and don't want to talk to anybody. So you take off from the tower, and you're on your own, and, and it's great. It's like the most amazing feeling in the world to be up there, and you're flying your own plane, and there's no one around. So is it, are you, are you, so you're flying on instruments. So what is, does, does the plane fly itself for most of the way, and you just have to keep it on course? Or how, how does it? Uh, yeah, but I mean, you kind of do both, you know, it depends on what you feel like. Sometimes it's like, I want to drive the boat, just hanging out, you know, do some turns, look at the ground. That's amazing. <laughs> I just, I just don't know if I'd be, I feel like I would get up there and then go, this is really cool. Wait, I'm stuck. What am I doing? I have to get down. <laughs> I got, yeah. I was flying uh, near Palmdale the other day and I looked out and I'm like, oh my God, that's a fucking drone. And there was a drone with, a, with like an F-16 chase plane that was like a couple miles away. They weren't coming to get me or anything. Oh. They just happened to be in the neighborhood. But I don't know. That was pretty amazing. This drone thing, I, I, just don't, I just don't know how it's a viable path for humans to start littering the lower skies with devices. Like it's, it just seems like a horrible catastrophe waiting to happen. Something's going to happen, right? I mean, there's no way when everyone can have a drone and they start crowding the... Then mm-hmm. so, something's gonna cross into something, or they're gonna crash in midair and land. I could just—it just feels bad. It's—it's it's gonna be bad because there's no regulation right, right now. But most of the drones don't really go that high. They probably go to 500 or 1,000 feet, and so most airplanes will be above that within a minute or so after they take off. Sure. So they're not quite in the same airspace usually yet, but um, they will be right as the drones yeah. improve. Have you heard a couple of stories where there's been drones where? Like a 737 captain saw one like pass off his right wingtip at like 8,000 feet or something no. like that. Like, yeah, really close. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, close. because people are obviously, you know, people are obviously going to push the limits as much as they can. <laughs> of and course. Then, and then something horrible is going to happen and they're like, okay, now we have to, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of like regulation by disaster. Right. Oh, well, I guess we need a rule for that now because that just caused a horrible <laughs> right. thing. Well, the other thing that's different about drones is when you fly your own airplane, you have you have a really good incentive to fly it well, which is that you want to live, right? And <laughs> you don't necessarily you're not you're not thinking with the same sense of risk when of you're flying course. a drone, or you you know that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's almost the, a drone is is one step above a video game. Like it's really yeah. barely not a video game. Yeah, and the the fact that uh, you know. There are basically a bunch of uh, punk kids and weekend dads who have the ability to throw something into a flight path. It's <laughs> very upsetting, mm. and I just try not—I try not to think about it. What do you think is the most? Uh, 
What do you think is the most important science thing going on right now? Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much stuff going on, right? I mean, drones is huge just because of how it impacts people. For sure. sure. Uh, you know, they, I know my, my thing is molecular biology, but that really is, it's still kind of in this phase where it's really growing very fast. Yeah. You know, if you think about it in a way, like they say with physics, it's like, well, Newton figured out most of that stuff in the 1600s and then Einstein added to it a little bit, but it, it, that, that goes a lot more slowly, but they're literally finding things every couple of years in molecular biology. So it's in biotech is basically what I'm talking about. So sure. Because it's tied to that sort of, you know, it's tied to the kind of, uh, bastardized version of Moore's law, right? So as your technology increases, then you're, you, they will apply that and discover, I mean, does it just, you know, do, do you ever, does it ever bend your mind to just think like, well now, you know, now we know that there's this, uh, now we know that there's this kind of like micro RNA, but there's, there's gotta be on stuff under that and there's gotta be stuff under that. And it just goes that, that, you know, that ancient Greek, like it's just infinite, you know, there will be something else, right? Right. I'm sure there will be. But, uh, yeah, I just think it's amazing that, like, they're – it's kind of like they're tinkering. Like, you can take a cancer cell and you can put it under a microscope and you can do your thing to it and you can kill it. Like, they actually have lots of ways of killing cancer, but they can only do it in a specific environment, like sure. in a test tube or whatever. But even that they're at that point, you know, they're at the doorstep of being able to treat people for – almost any disease. That's sure. pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I would imagine that, you know, jumping from a Petri dish to something like the human body is probably, you know, I mean, that, that, that does feel like a, a light year. It's of a, a leap, of, right? Of a jump. But you can, you can see it there, which is really cool. It's just, it's just right there. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything, uh, is there anything specific you want to, you want to plug the, you want to plug the a- album now, or you want to plug anything before we, before we let you go? Uh, Oh, right, right. Yeah, I have a hot sauce. Oh, that's right. I read about your hot sauce. <laughs> I know. We didn't bring any today, did we? Yeah, there's oh. some right here. Oh. This is a fourth pursuit. <laughs> yes, that's right. I just thought it would be cool to have hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I see this hot sauce being like uh, uh, having some type of uh, molecular curative properties. It's like, you know... Right. Curing disease through hot sauce. Yeah, I I don't mix the two in the lab, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I started a few years ago, and uh, my friends really liked it. I just, I messed around with the recipe, and again, getting into something that I knew nothing about, so it took way longer, and you know, all that, but eventually came up with something that people really liked, and so we just started putting it out there, and it's it's growing, it's doing good. You know, but most people... And I know because I feel like there are a lot of people, and I'm also guilty of this. But there's a lot of there's a lot of people that I know, and a lot of them are performers where they just they. It's almost like um, getting addicted to the rush of a new hobby, but then the second that the you know obviously the the passion's going to go out of that pretty quickly if and then you you just drop it and move on to something else, <laughs> right? But you actually follow through on this shit. You actually you look. I like hot sauce. I don't know anything about it. Now I'm just going to make hot I'm sauce. I'm going to make it, yeah, and see what happens, I guess. Are people buying it? Where is it? Where is yeah, it available? Yeah. Uh, we're in most supermarkets in the country. <laughs> Not all of them. Maybe half. You have the best like- fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Amazon, of course. If you can't find it in your local market, it's in Amazon. But. Uh, we have some over. Yeah, where, where, they, they brought you guys, you guys had sent some Gringo over. Bandito. Yes. Gringo Bandito, that's right. Ringo Bandito. Is this yeah? Is this an approximation of you on the cover? That is, yeah. It's sort of me as like a Pancho Villa yes. type guy. Fantastic. So, yeah, so, oh, so you've been working on this since 2004. Yeah, it's been that long. So we always say, you know, you might not like my band, but you'll probably like my hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two shots. Two shots, right? <laughs> Zero calories. You could just drink this stuff all day and that, and it's still totally healthy, right? That's what's so great. Yeah. <laughs> What what do you uh, what do you recommend the hot sauce on? Do you recommend it on um, burritos, tacos, eggs, uh, pizza? What's what's your of course all that stuff? It's really good on pizza. A lot of people don't think about putting hot sauce on pizza, but oh, t- Tabasco on a cheese pizza is real good. Uh, yeah, but now Gringo Bandito on a pizza will be even better. You should try it. I I like Tabasco. I'm like I'm like a hot sauce fan. A lot of people are kind of snobs. Like oh, I don't like Tabasco. It's too vinegary. But I really like them all. I think it's part of why I started making hot sauce. Have you been to that hot sauce kiosk at the farmers market? Over by the Grove? 
Yeah, I think we're in there. Light my fire. Yes. Yeah. That place is amazing. It's pretty cool, huh? One guy just had a dream. Like I'm gonna every fucking hot sauce known <laughs> to man. It's great. On, huh? Under one. Yeah. Under one little roof. Hot, hot sauce is fun. It makes people smile. You know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't have started a salad dressing company if you know what I mean. But right. hot, hot sauce, yeah. Holland's own. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Well, likewise. And, and, I, and I really, I am, you know, I, I, I might seem a little uh, excitable, but I just, when I meet someone that has that many, I mean, everyone is multidimensional, but it's just most people don't explore all of those to the fullest extent. It's just like they tinker a little bit. But I really do think that that's kind of, you know, that life is a bunch of separate little journeys that start to tie together in ways that you don't, realize like it's not crazy that in your in your pursuit of hot sauce it could uncover something about one of the other things that you're working on and then make a connection like that's how you that's where creativity and genius comes in is 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 that sort of interdisciplinary um uh study and 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 so it just i think i think it's really cool right on awesome thank you i mean yeah there's a lot out there right the the world is your oyster the world is your oyster uh, pour hot sauce on it. That's, <laughs> if you want to use that, you could totally Can I make it use a slogan? that gem. Yeah, slogan. you can totally use that gem. The world's your oyster. Make it spicy. <laughs> oh, I, I will not be offended if you decide not to use that. I completely understand. Uh, are you? Uh, where, where can people find you on various social media outlets? Oh, right. Well, Offspring.com, of course. Facebook, uh, Twitter. It's all, it's all Offspring. It's all Offspring we, stuff there, too. We cornered all that years ago. <laughs> right? Good thinking. <laughs> yeah. We sued that kid in Modesto. They had the Offspring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sued is a generous term. We beat the shit out of him. Yeah, we, right. uh, we took his website. But uh, thank you so much for being here, Dexter. Hey, thank you really, very much. Really nice chatting really with you. really fun. And uh, goodbye, noodles! <laughs> We missed you. I'll tell. I'll tell him. Noodles. We're gonna hang out. Noodles. You're gonna come to show. You'd like him. Now, uh, now, normally we say at the end of the podcast, enjoy your burrito. Now we can say, uh, pour some gringo bandito on that motherfucker and enjoy nice. your spicy burrito. Nice. The end. Oh, that was so great. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's going to win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's going to be backlash about that. Oh, just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.